C.S. Lewis in the book, um, The Magician's Nephew, which is part of a series of kids' book called The Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Magician's Nephew, there is a, an, an evil that is revealed and from a, many different worlds, and a new world is being created. And towards the end of that book, there is this, a few lines that talk about this new world being created called Narnia, which the series is named after, The Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a passage, and it goes like this. Far overhead, from beyond the veil of the blue sky, which hid them, the stars sang again. A pure, a cold, a difficult music. And then there came a swift flash like fire, but it burnt no one. Either from the sky or from the lion himself, every drop of blood tingled in the children's bodies. And the deepest, wildest voice that they had ever heard was saying, Narnia, 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 awake, love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beasts, be divine waters. In another epic of stories, The Lord of the Rings by J.R.L. Tolkien, we are introduced to these creatures that shepherd trees in the forest. And these creations are trees that can walk. They are called ents. And these ents are these walking trees. This morning, as we look into this message in the book of Colossians, and we've been going through Colossians with uh, different topical sermons dripped in along the way, I've been captivated by this image of walking trees. And you may be like, well, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? And yet we see it within folklore. We see it within uh, even, well, in fact, there's one case for a walking tree that may actually be real. It's a unique palm that's been found in Ecuador. And this tree uh, is believed that perhaps it can move itself slowly uh, one scientist thinks it can move up to 20 meters, one that he's found over time, but it's a, it's a palm that has roots that extend above the ground, and it kind of looks like it's got stilts or many feet, as it were. And one theory is, is that if the soil shifts, it sends out new roots above and sticks them over, and it slowly, by time, these old ones sort of drop off, and it can, it can move just a little bit. Now, the science is conflicted. There are others that debate that, well, that's not what's really happening but I want to just stick with the image that perhaps there's a real tree that can walk just a little bit as well, all right? Play with me a little bit this morning. You can research that later just to Google the walking tree and then the science and the debate about does it actually move or not. But I'm going to go with I like the idea of the walking palm that can move itself slowly over time. This morning, this text that we're going to look at in Colossians chapter 2 um, has, a, has like just a to mix metaphors, like Paul is doing here, has a cacophony, has many different sounds coming together, uh, many different images. We call it a mixed metaphor, where you combine and confuse and use different images together that normally don't go together. And so this passage, Paul talks about that. And I want to talk about this this morning and dig into it and ask, how can God speak to us this morning from this passage? 
Now, if you're new here today, uh, we want to welcome you. I am glad you're here. Um, obviously, our COVID ushers would have asked for your contact information if we don't have it. Uh, please don't take that as offensive or aggressive. We just want to make sure that we're doing all the things we're supposed to do safety-wise. Um, also, I want to remind those of you in the room this morning, before we go into the passage, you can sit in this front row. And here's how it works. So we want to have three chairs between either household units, roommates, or families. So I would encourage you, you use these chairs on the end. And if I'm sitting in one, you can always boot me out. We actually wipe these down before and after service. Um, but you can sit on the ends, and that's sort of the perfect spot. And then you can leave the three in the center. And just let's pretend these three right here are the real front row. And then those three and those two are fair game as uh, we uh, continue to lit out in terms of our capacity in this room. So can you guys help me with that? Yes? Okay, all right, that was really weak. Say yes or amen or something to acknowledge. I see head nods. Okay, all right, good, good. So we're going to read this passage, pray, and then just dig in this morning to these images that we see that Paul is giving us as he's teaching the church at Colossae and reaching out to them. If you want to join with me, uh, I'm going to read, it's chapter 2 in Colossians, uh, verses 1 through 7, just a really short passage this morning, and we want to dig into this and uh, hopefully hear from God through the scriptures, through this ancient work, and through the Holy Spirit breathing it again today. So Paul says this, writing to the church in Colossae, and he's in prison, by the way, as he's writing. He's not there. He has not actually been to that church. And he says this, I want you to know how much I struggle for you, and for those in Laodicea, another city, and for all who haven't known me personally. Verse 2, my goal is that their hearts would be encouraged and united together in love so that they might have all the riches of assurance that come with understanding so that they might have the knowledge of the secret plan or the mystery of God, namely Christ. Verse 3, all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And I'm telling you this so that no one deceives you with convincing arguments. Because even though I'm absent physically, I'm with you in the spirit. And I'm happy to see the discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. And then verses 6 and 7. So live in Christ Jesus the Lord in the same way as you received him. Be rooted and built up in him. Be established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving just as you were taught. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that, it, that I have this opportunity and again have been given a place to speak and to preach and to share your word with these my brothers and sisters, many that I know and some that I don't. Lord, thank you that you promise to do things that go way beyond human effort or ability or skill and that your Holy Spirit anoints and rebreathes through these ancient works into the current context of the local church, that we are the living body of Christ, that we are the living extension of the word that has gone all the way back. And Jesus, you promise to be uniquely present when your people gather together. And in this case, technologically, some of us are gathering together in the same time, and some of us time and place. But there's a togetherness that can happen when we join in that synchronous moment together. And so, Lord, do what only you can do. I am a saint and sinner in process. I can't change anyone. But God, I know that you have great things for each and every person and this community of faith to make a difference in Vancouver and even around the world in various ways. So awaken us 
to the alternative community of the messy local church and this way of being human that is different awaken us to that new way and knowing that we won't get there fully this side of the life to come but that we lean into that and by your holy spirit we can begin to experience a little bit of that heaven on earth of unity of all people rooted in love now by your salvation and your work jesus so awaken us to that in jesus name i pray amen amen so this morning we look at this text I don't know about you, but I always love gathering. I am reminded that I am shaped all week by cultural liturgies around me in postmodern Canada that want to reduce my thinking down to just material and, and, and want to push me into its mold. And when we do this, when we worship, when we sing, when we have small groups in home church, we are pushing back and saying there's, there's more to us than what our culture or cultures have been saying. There's something that a God who created wants to speak to us. And so when we do this, there's something unique that happens in this place and when we gather together. So I'm excited about that. And we go to this ancient foolishness of preaching and we dig in. In verse 1, and we're just going to walk through the verses today and talk about it, Paul's concern again for in this passage is that he, they're on his mind, and he's writing to them, and he's saying, I'm contending for you. In verse 1, he says, I'm contending hard, and this language is like athletic competition in ancient Greece, the, the, the words that are being used. I'm striving. Uh, the word agnon, this idea also of agony in this. So the Olympic contest, if you've ever run so hard that you are in agony or you've, or you've pushed yourself to the limit in a training session or, you've, or maybe even in a practicing a music piece, you have uh, made your, if you're a piano player, your fingers have calluses or a guitar player, calluses or a drummer. I don't know what drummers get. What do drummers get? I don't know. What do drummers get? Carpal tunnel. I don't know. Okay. I'm in agony because I'm doing this so much. I'm contending for you. And Paul gives us this kind of commitment to the churches that are under his oversight. And keep in mind, he's never been there. He is being in the Roman version of COVID prison. He is in the Roman prison. Although some biblical scholars say he may be in the Roman prison in Ephesus, but most think he's in Rome at this time writing these prison letters, these prison epistles. And so he's in agony for them. And you would think if you're in prison, you would be worried about your own agony, right? And he's like, no, 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 I'm in agony for you in this. His care for the local church and the local churches is, is palpable. It's, just, it's, it's, it's pulsating through this text. There's a struggle for the church I want us to think about in terms of this first verse in our own lives and reflection. Because the church stands for this new humanity that we talk about over and over again, this love-centered, Jesus-centric humanity there's a pitched battle between our old humanity and the Bible talks about this internal warfare in each of our hearts that continues on through our lives until the life to come. And there is this battle for the church. And we see that the church is constantly in this place of being an underdog but letting God's power work through it, the authentic church. So let's go to verse 2 and 3. He says, this is my goal. My goal is that their hearts would be encouraged and united together in love so that they might have all the riches of assurance that come with understanding, so they might have the knowledge of the mystery of God, namely Christ. So Paul in verse 2 begins to unpack this full, four, full, four-fold purpose of why he's writing. So hear this with me. First of all, it's encouragement. Encouragement is number one. If you're in the room, would you say encouragement with me? 
Encouragement. He's writing to encourage them. Sometimes we need to hear a word from outside of our local church context from brothers and sisters who are not even here at Pilgrim Church in Vancouver. Sometimes we need to look to the church beyond us. We need to hear from the global church. We need to hear from other churches in our communities. We need to hear from those who have gone before us. And Paul is writing encouragement, number one. And then the next three things flow out of that. The next three things flow out. This is how I'm going to have this. Is this is how my purpose of encouragement comes out. It's through teaching you and encouraging you to be united in love. The faith of Jesus, the path of Jesus is the way of love. I like how Bruxy talks about a Bruxy Cave in the meeting house that's about shutting down religion. Or Brian Zahn talks about proper religion, meaning that we are shaped by habits and rituals. There's, the R word can be used as a swear word or it can be used as something positive. But in this sense, I want to remind you that this is not a religion in the sense of we are trying to get to God on our own. We believe that God came down and dwelt among us, that God came down from the mountain, put on flesh, entered time in a, a strategic time. When the time was ripe, uh, the scriptures talk about, but then he teaches a way of love. A different way of walking through our conflicts, a different way of dealing with our, our resources and our body and our different ways of relating across what the world wants to divide us between, being united in love. Now, of course, love includes justice. Of course, love includes a whole bunch of other things to make it real. But this is sort of the top of the heap, encouragement. Be united in love. And then he says, having the full riches, the language you use here is riches. I came across a story the other day, and in fact, it was earlier uh, in June, I think June 18th, this story came out of a guy, uh, I believe he's in Colorado, who hid a million dollar treasure for years and years to see if someone would find it, and someone finally found it. <laughs> this treasure was found, and he announced it and verified it, and he had been an antiquities dealer, and he had hidden like gold and different things and silver in this box, and, uh, and wrote a book, and uh, in the book sort of gave hints to it, and finally someone found it after these years. I think of that treasure. He says, I want you to have the full riches, the full treasure of complete understanding, and you're not going to have to go hunt in the mountains for it. And fourth, how is he going to be encouraged us? United in love, having full riches of complete understanding, and fourth, having knowledge of the mystery of God, having knowledge of the mystery of God, that Jesus is the revelation. Jesus is the mystery that now is available and open to all people everywhere in time. So let's talk a little bit about these four things. Encouragement. In Colossians 4.8, we learn that Paul sends a guy named Tychus to encourage them. He also sent this same guy to the Ephesians because he himself couldn't go. Paul not only pleads with them through letters and writes them, he wants them and us now to be encouraged. As he has been encouraged by others, we learn. This word be comforted, this word encourage, strengthen. Uh, Parakolethesian. Uh, this coming alongside is a similar root, and by the way, of the Holy Spirit, the comforter of the Holy Spirit. It's the same verb connected with instruction regarding words of the Holy Spirit inspiring us in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, you all can prophesy, you all can speak words inspired by the Spirit in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. You know, when we gather in home church, that's a great place not only to discern and test what you're hearing from me or who's ever speaking, but it's also a time to encourage one another, to speak words, to ask, Holy Spirit, is there a way I can encourage my friend in this home church? Or maybe even someone I don't know. So Paul isn't telling them that encouragement is a, is a key ministry in carrying on. God promises supernatural encouragement and strength in trials. 
By the way, when this letter is written, Paul is delivering it via someone. Someone is going to the local church and they're reading the letter. And in fact, he would have given instructions about how to read the letter because in that church, some would be able to read, but many might not be able to read. And so this letter is being delivered in person. It's being brought uh, to that church through someone who is uh, representing Paul and his ministry to them. This gift of encouragement, again, means more than comfort, but it's also the sense of strengthening. I don't know about you, but we all need to experience that encouragement and strengthening. I think particularly the church in times of COVID and, and, and things like this that none of us would have anticipated a year ago. We need to hear again this word of encouragement and what does it mean to be encouraged. He says this, this is what it means, be united in love. It's subordinate again to encouragement, these next three things. William Barclay says this, when love dies, the church dies. When love dies, the church dies. So Paul is saying that we are to experience, we are to build community, we are to order our desires to love one another. That's what this community is. The true test of discipleship, again and again we say it, is am I becoming more loving? Am I learning to love? Sometimes it's speaking the truth in love. Sometimes it's saying hard things, but it's doing it in a way that others can hear it. This is part of what it means to be the local church. He said, you want to be encouraged? Remember, unity and love is something that will knit you together and it will build you up. I like how Scott McKnight puts this. He said, love, hear this, love is a person's rugged commitment. Rugged commitment. Not, nah, I don't feel like it. Nah, bedside Baptist. Nah, it's a rugged commitment. We're in Vancouver. We've got mountains. We've got, many of us can fake it out there. We put on our hiking boots. I'm wearing my boots from Minnesota today. Uh, we can wear all the garb, but if it's just external and you never go on the hike, you haven't experienced that ruggedness. Now, thankfully in Vancouver, just like here at Pilgrim Church, we have paved trails that are nice gravel and groomed very close by. So you can, you can incrementally build into that ruggedness, right? You can, you can gently do it, right? To all the way going out farther in the mountains where there is no uh, signal on your cell phone as well. So this rugged commitment to another person in three ways, McKnight goes on and says, in presence, those who show up rule the world. Show up online, show up in gatherings. Paul's reminded them, don't, don't give up in this because the Holy Spirit, Jesus works in this messy community. He does something. There's a power under and the enemy and your flesh want to convince you otherwise. And yet here we are 2,000 years later. It's being committed to another in presence, in advocacy. I'm talking about racism and justice. That's one aspect of many ideas of advocacy. And in the mutual direction, McKnight puts it this way, in the mutual direction of development towards becoming more like Jesus. Paul, in other words, is not yearning that, that these folks simply have affection for one another or feelings, but that they will commit themselves to, to be with one another as they grow in Christ into a new unity, this commitment, that that will encourage you. There is encouragement in the gathering of the church. There is supernatural empowerment in the gathering of the church. The Holy Spirit works through the foolishness of preaching and, and the declaration that Jesus is Lord, Trudeau is not, Trump is not, she is not, Jesus is Lord. There's encouragement in that. Can't you feel it? Can't you sense it? Can't you understand it in your mind? I think you can. And so he goes on building on that. Unity and love, number three, having the riches of complete understanding. He wants them to flourish, and there's this sense of a complete. Uh, this word is, can also be translated conviction or assurance of understanding. 
But there's an alignment of heart and mind that happens in Jesus. Jesus brings together our broken connection often between our conscience, our heart, and our mind. That he bridges the gap. That if God has put on flesh and dwelt among us and given us teachings and, and has also uh, taken on our brokenness and sin, there is a, an assurance and there is a unity that as we understand that and we lean into that ancient mystery, there's a richness that brings healing and wholeness to our severed person and brings it back together. In Jesus, there is healing in understanding who he is and experiencing who he is. We come by this understanding by the Holy Spirit in our imagination, in our bodies, in our thinking, and we experience it in the community of faith as well. This is a community of knowledge and experience woven together, rooted around Jesus and what he said, what he taught. So he says, I want you to have this full understanding as well. And he builds on it again. And he says, number four, the fourth aspect of encouragement is having the knowledge of God's hidden plan known in Jesus. And what is that hidden plan again? Well, the gospel is the story of God reaching down and bridging time. And, and he brings together a, a division between what he says, the, Jew pe the Jewish people and all people. And this idea of God making this nation that he worked through to, to reveal himself. And now he expands that to all. And it was always his intention to expand it to all. That in Christ, there is a new humanity. If we were to put that into modern language, he would say the 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 antagonisms that we have, that we maybe have been raised in our family of origins in Christ, he tears them down and teaches us a new way of being human where we respect where we've come from, but we also identify those things that are sinful and broken and dehumanizing of the other. He tears down the wall and his love and his, him at our center allows us to, to reach across that divide because in ourselves and in our nations and all of that, we don't have that resource, but in Jesus we do. Okay, I've got to move on because that's just verse two and three. And everyone said amen? All right. Land the plane, pastor, land the plane. We're almost there. All right, I'll go quickly through the rest. So he restates it in verse three. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. All of them are hidden in Christ. When you follow Christ, it is a lifelong journey. Sometimes we want to go to the Wikipedia article and get the download for all of Christian uh, belief right there. It doesn't work like that. In fact, the ancient church fathers and mothers, there was a phrase that was said, that I believe in order to understand. I need to enter into the relationship in order to begin to understand. I can read all I want about Deva. David is, Deva is sitting right here in the middle this morning, so it's easy to pick on her. So uh, She's also on our board, so be nice to me, Deva. Okay. <laughs> I could read all that, that was written about Deva. I could, I could call people that know her. I could get information, but until... I build some level of relationship with Deva. It's all sort of out there knowledge versus experiential knowledge of who Deva is. And so he's calling us again to walk into this. Verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom of God are in Christ. Christ is how we walk with God, how we know God. Verse 3 and verse 4, he says, I'm telling you this so no one deceives you. And he's going to unpack this now in the rest of the letter. Verse 4, and I'm not going to say much about it other than to say he's introducing two concepts in Greek. This idea of people who can deceive you through um, crafty use of their words. I love that we're sort of an Anabaptist, Baptist-ish community here. Because when I speak, or Andreas who's on next Sunday, or guest who comes in and speaks, it's not the end of the story. It's not a one-way deal. In our home churches, we wrestle, we dig in. And sometimes uh, we have disagreements and we wrestle with the word together. We discern the word in community. 
And he's saying this, that there's, he's concerned that they're being deceived, and then he'll unpack that when we get later into Colossians this summer, but that there's this idea of simply hearing arguments. In our day and age, in sort of postmodern Canada, we hear this, that all ideas are equal and all speech is equal. Um, but is it, though? Is the person that tells you to run a stop sign, is that speech equal to the person that says you should obey the stop sign so you don't kill the pedestrian or the cyclist or hit another car? And he says this, that there is this idea of deceptive speech that we need to wrestle with, and he's going to introduce what's going on in this church. There has been an attack against the church, and he'll unpack it. But he introduces it there in verse 4, finally in chapter 2. He says, it's because I'm physically absent with you, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm happy to see the discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. Verse 5, just a few things to point out here before we get to the final two. He says, Again, reminds us that he's not there. He's now reminded them again and again he's not there. He's yearning to be there. How many of you during this time have yearned to be gathering with people? How many of you were just super excited when your neighborhood coffee shop opened up and you could sit outside or maybe if it was big enough you could sit inside? Were you excited about that, some of you? Okay. No, all of us. We're on the conservative. Okay. Three of us were excited about that. Yay, us. Uh, Or maybe your local pub or your local park opened up and you were able to go again. Paul is reminding them that there's something about being present to one another and that he wishes he could be there, but he's in prison and he's thinking about them. He's in a nasty Roman prison. By the way, they didn't treat people well in these prisons. You can research uh, prisons in the ancient world. It's not like being in jail in Canada where they may just put an ankle bracelet on you and let you wander along and bounce between your mansions. Oh, wait, I'm making a political statement. Okay. (laughs) This is not what Roman prisons were like, folks. Um, other countries' prisons today might be more like that. He says, I'm absent physically, and I'm with you in spirit. I love this phrase, I'm with you in spirit. Many of, when researching this, many of the biblical scholars said this is an indication of the Holy Spirit making us present when we can't be present. For those of you gathering online and those of you doing it on this actual time, I know some of you have to watch later, I understand that. But there's something about the Holy Spirit that ties us together even though we can't be physically in the same space at the same, uh, same place. There's something about the Spirit. Paul is saying the Holy Spirit knits us together across time and across distance. He's saying, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm happy to see the stability. So he's saying there's stability in this church even though there's an attack. So let's get to the last two verses. I realize why I'm feeling rushed. Because Charmaine did such a marvelous job. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm stealing time from all of you, okay, on the back end here. We'll, we'll go f- just a few minutes longer. In verse 6 and 7 is where the letter sort of really begins. It's where the core of the letter is revealed. And he says this to them, so live in Christ. And the actual word again is this peripateo, this word meaning walking. Walk in Christ, which is borrowed from Judaism, this idea of walking according to the Torah or the law. And now Paul, who is Jewish, who is now a follower of Messiah, Jesus, and his whole world is changed and upside down, takes the language that he would have known from from following within that path of walking Torah, and now he co-ops it. And he says, so walk in Christ Jesus the Lord in the same way you received him. The Colossians were taken by the story of Jesus. The God who dies on a cursed tree 
Instead of kills, he dies for his creation. Instead of uh, launching war against his creation, he dies for his creation, for you and me. He says, you receive this, this received word. It was a passed on message that had been received from the first followers of Jesus and their experience of him. You receive that tradition, the good kind of tradition, the living tradition, the life-changing tradition. And he says, so now continue to walk into the Jesus story because it will continue to change you into a new humanity and will eventually bring fullness of eternal life both now and in the life to come so continue walking in it say it with me walk walk the walk <laughs> parapeteo this walking this is a huge image of what it means to follow christ in the new testament the other one we read in john all of the time is meno which means to remain walk and remain walk and remain there is a element again of you are a living walking tree be rooted and grounded and walk in that mixed metaphors and then he says this so walk verse 6 verse 7 be rooted and built up i love this use of images how he combines these things that you don't normally think of being rooted and walking together. And here it is. Be rooted and built up in Christ. Be established in faith and overflow with thanksgiving just as you were taught. These four dimensions of walking he mentioned in chapter 1. And now he restates them in chapter 2 verses 6 through 7. He mentioned them in chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. Walking. And then he uses bearing fruit like a tree in chapter 1. Now he's saying rooted like a tree and then in chapter 1, he says growing, and now he uses the word built up. Now he brings an architectural metaphor into there. And then in, in chapter 1, he says empowering, and, and the walk is about empowering. And then in chapter 2, he says strengthening, similar concept. And then finally, he says in chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks. And then chapter 2, verse 7, he says overflowing in thanks. So there's these four dimensions of this walking, being rooted and built up, architectural and horticulture brought together. And then this third dimension being strengthened in the faith. By the story of Jesus, it strengthens us. And fourth, we overflow with thankfulness. And this, thinks of, and this speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit, causing us to be thankful for what God has done. Altogether, these four terms mean that those who are alive in Christ are to walk in this kind of life. N.T. Wright, that great... Uh, uh, theologian says this, even Paul must have had difficulty imagining Christians walking in Christ by being well-rooted like trees, solidly built like a house, confirmed and settled like a legal document, and overflowing like a jug of wine. Each of these images nevertheless has its own point to make about this way of walking and being a follower of Jesus. So this morning I want to uh, pack it up for you and try to land the plane. Just as the lion, who is the God image in the Chronicles of Narnia, speaks forth to create. And in that beautiful scene, he says to Narnia, awake and love and speak and trees be walking trees, beasts be talking beasts. In the same way, the true God revealed in Jesus speaks to you this morning through his word. And he says, there is a way to do life. There is a walk that we can have that can change us. And so this morning, I invite you into that walk. I invite you into that story. I invite you to let Jesus become the king, the Lord, the president, the chairman of your life. And as a church, do we understand what we have? 
Do we hear the story? Do we see these images? Because these images should inform our faith. In fact, our vision statement at our church is rooted in some of these verses, that we are to exist to love our city from Jeremiah, love the place you're in exile in, now that you've become a new humanity. Invite others to flourish by rooting our lives in the outrageous love and life of Jesus. Have you found this life? And if you have, maybe you need to hear Paul's encouragement, continue to walk, continue to be rooted, continue to be a walking tree in the wisdom of Christ, in his life, his teachings, his death and resurrections. For we are the walking trees, we are the ints, we are called to pour into others for the sake of the world which he loves and died for and rose again. Well, this morning, let's pray and then we'll maybe take a question if we have no questions this morning. Okay, all right, very good. Let's pray. If you want to, would you stand with me if you're in the room together this morning? Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. And as we've bounced between topic messages and then digging into a passage or a book of the Bible, stretch us, Lord. Inform us. Let this word shape us differently than the cultural liturgies that we've been surrounded with all week. May this break in in light where we can see your spirit at work in the world. And in sometimes encountering things that the world tells us are so important. Help us to be those who are rooted and grounded, who are established and built up, and who are walking in the path that you have laid for us, Jesus. Your self-sacrificial love, your forgiveness of sins, your inbreaking life promised through your Holy Spirit. Awaken us, awaken us, awaken us, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, amen.